This is Marshall Davis. Today on the Tao of Christ, I continue my new series of broadcasts entitled The New Pilgrim's Progress, patterned after John Bunyan's 17th century classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. It is an allegorical pilgrimage through the landscape of 21st century American spirituality. Today is part two, Beyond the Gate. Seeker walked quickly, trying to make up for lost time. He did not greet any of his neighbors from the town of therapy, even if they asked him a direct question. He was afraid that he might be delayed or tempted to return. After a few miles, he reached the gate. By the light of the nearby lamppost, he could read the words over the gate, Know thyself. He was about to step through the gate when a man suddenly appeared. He was an older man, short and stocky, with a long beard, snub nose, and bulging eyes. His name was Sincerity. He stared at Seeker intently. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you want? Seeker replied, I am a poor wayfaring stranger, traveling through this world of woe. I come from the Shadowlands, and I am headed toward the Bright Land. I was told that to reach my destination, that I must pass through this gate. Will you step aside so that I may enter? I will gladly allow you to pass, replied Sincerity, but first I need to ask you a question. Do you know yourself? What kind of question is that? I already told you my name, where I was from, and where I am going. Yes, but do you know yourself? Seeker was thoughtful for a moment. If I truly knew who I was, I would not have come on this journey. I seek to discover the answer to that question. Good answer, and he opened the gate. As Seeker was about to step through, Sincerity suddenly pulled him back. Why'd you do that? Sniper, replied Sincerity. In that ivory tower in the distance, there is a militia under the command of a man named Postmodern. He opposes anyone who believes that anything is true. His snipers will shoot at anyone who passes through this gate. Ah, yes, I met some of them at the university. Thanks for the warning. By the way, who told you to enter by this gate? Campus Crusader. That I will help you pass safely through the door. But first, why did you come alone? Don't you have family or friends who could accompany you? No, my parents and friends and neighbors thought I was foolish to embark on this journey. My parents wanted to send me to a psychiatrist to convince me to abandon this quest. Did any of them follow you? Yes, two of my neighbors, tolerant and intolerant, chased me in order to persuade me to return home. I convinced one of them, tolerant, to come with me for a while. Why is he not with you now? We both fell into the bog of angst. That was too much for him. As soon as he got out, he went home, whereas I continued on my way. Too bad. Does truth mean so little to him that he was not willing to endure suffering to find it? To be honest with you, said Seeker with a grimace, I am no better than he. As soon as I got out of the bog, I turned aside from the road to spend some weeks in the town of therapy. Psychologists convinced me that it was a better way to free myself from guilt and shame. 
Oh, you met psychologist, he is a very persuasive fellow and a very good listener. Undoubtedly, he referred you to therapist or counselor. Yes, he did. I spent much time and money on therapy. Did it help? Yes, it helped. But in time, it became clear that it was like peeling back the layers of an onion. There is no end to the process. I could have spent the rest of my life in therapy and never have succeeded in being entirely free of guilt. Very good. If you learned that lesson, then it was worth the time and money. Most people spend their lives simply trying to adjust to the Shadowlands instead of seeking a better country. I am grateful for what I learned in therapy and for seeing that it has its limits. Speaking of limits, let me tell you about the path that you are about to travel beyond the gate. Look through the gate. What do you see? I see a narrow way. Correct. The way is narrow. It is the ancient way, established from the foundation of the world. Holy men and women have traveled this path for generations. Now it is your turn, if you are willing. I am willing, but now that I look closely at the gate, I see that it is very small, barely wide enough for me to squeeze through. Yes, the gate is straight and the way is narrow. One person can barely pass through the opening. No one can enter with another at his side. Furthermore, you can bring nothing with you, neither your possessions nor family nor friends. Most important, you can carry with you neither your sins nor your good works. How am I to leave them behind? All you need to do is enter through the gate. It will do the rest. How about my guilt and shame? Will it remove them as well? That must wait for the hill of deliverance. You will be able to lay down that burden later. Seeker proceeded through the gate, keeping a watchful eye on the sniper's ivory tower. Sincerity called after him. Remember to keep asking questions. Do not settle for answers without examining all the possibilities. If you are not willing to examine everything, then you might as well not be on the journey. The unexamined life is not worth living. Seeker waved goodbye to the gatekeeper. As he waved, he noticed some words over the rear of the gate. It read, The Way, the Truth, and the Life. Sincerity called out some final instructions. After you have traveled a few miles, you will see the house of the theologian. Knock at his door, and it will be opened unto you. He will help you to understand your new life. With those words of encouragement and warning, Seeker began to travel the narrow way. He continued along the path until he reached the house of the theologian. Beside the door was a sign that read, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So he knocked, but there was no answer. He knocked again, and still there was no response. He kept knocking. And finally the door was opened. A distinguished gentleman stood before him, wearing a tweed jacket with elbow patches and smoking a pipe. Sir, said Seeker, I am a pilgrim on the straight and narrow way. The gatekeeper told me to come to your house, and you would teach me about the way. The theologian responded, Enter in, and I will show you things that will be helpful to you. 
he escorted him into his private study. The first thing the seeker noticed was a portrait hanging on the wall. The man in the picture was dressed in a clerical robe with a liturgical stole around his neck and three velvet bands on the arms. Behind him was a wall of books, science and history books on one side, religious and philosophical books on the other. Framed diplomas adorned the wall. The man was holding the book in one hand, a newspaper in the other. A tear glistened on his cheek, but his eyes were set like steel. His brow and hands bore scars like the Lord. Who is the man of this picture? asked Seeker. He is the one who has read a thousand books and felt a thousand sorrows. He studies long and works hard, but not as the world works. He counsels others and bears their burdens. He is a pastor. His work is to proclaim the good news, ask the right questions, and communicate the wisdom of the ages. I am showing you his portrait so that you will recognize him if you encounter him on your journey. There are many on the path who pretend to be pastors, but they are not. They proclaim only what they have heard, but not what they know. Flee from them. Campus Crusader proclaimed good news to me, but he does not look like this man. He told me that God had a wonderful plan for my life. Campus Crusader is not a pastor. He is an evangelist. Though he is often found on college campuses, he distrusts any learning that disagrees with his beliefs. He praises the book and reads from it, but he is unable to interpret the book without a pamphlet to guide him. He knows little and seeks to know little more. The little he knows is not untrue, but neither is it true. His message is sufficient to point seekers to the gate, but it cannot guide them beyond the gate. Although he is maturing years, he thinks like a child. When one passes through the gate, one must leave behind childish things. He is unwilling to do that. He guides people to the gate, but he is unwilling to travel beyond it. If you continue on the way, you will not see him again. Does that mean that one must have much education to be a pastor? No, there are fine pastors with little formal education, but their advice is imperfect because their knowledge is imperfect. They do not know what they do not know. Therefore, they are unable to guide others into the unknown. You will encounter them on the road. Treat them as brothers, but be cautious of their advice. They will insist that you stay with them at some wayside chapel, saying that it is too dangerous to continue further. Do not listen to them. Brave all dangers and continue to the end. But what about the apostles of our Lord? They were unlettered men. That is true. Most of the apostles could neither read nor write because that was the age in which they lived. Does that mean that we should not learn to read and write? Of course not. Would you be better off if you could not read the book? Are you better off if you never studied the origins and history of the book? Ignorance is not a virtue. The more we know, the better we understand the book, and the more useful we are to the Lord. Beware of pastors who belittle learning, yet claim to know what the book means. Come, 
and I will show you the many ways that the book can be interpreted. Theologian took him by the hand and led him into a large rotunda. In the center of the room was the book, laying open on a pedestal, illuminated from above by a stained glass dome in the roof. There were twelve semicircular chapels that branched off the central chamber. They were small and dark. In each of the chapels was a man or a woman with a copy of the book. When he looked closely, he saw that each of the copies bore a different cover. In one chapel there was a gilded book perched on an altar, and on the altar was the word bibliolatry. A man was kneeling before the book. In another chapel, a man was waving a copy of the book and preaching loudly at those who walked by his chapel. On his book were written the words inerrant and infallible. In the third chapel was a man holding scissors. With them he was cutting out the parts of the book that he deemed contradictory and unscientific. Most of the book lay in shreds on the floor, and what was left was impossible to read. In the fourth alcove was a woman. The book in her hands bore the subtitle Myths and Fables. The fifth recess had a woman at a lectern reading from the book. On a blackboard behind her were written the words, The Bible as Literature. The sixth chapel was empty except for a copy of the book locked in a glass case on the wall. A small hammer used for breaking the glass hung beside it. On the glass was emblazoned the words, Open only in case of emergency. The seventh chapel had a man scowling while reading from the book. The cover of his book bore only the numerals 1611. Seeker peered into the next chapel and saw a woman in clerical robes. She held a magic marker in her hand. With it she was marking out all masculine pronouns and references to God as male. On the cover of her book were the words Hagia Sophia. The adjacent chapel looked like a museum. On one side was a replica of Noah's Ark with tiny animals marching in two by two. On the other side was an exhibit of the Garden of Eden depicting dinosaurs frolicking with human children. The man curating this exhibit bore the name of one of Noah's sons. In his hand was a copy of the book, but something about the book didn't look right. Upon closer examination, Seeker noticed that the first few pages of the book were much larger than the rest of the book. These same pages were dog-eared with wear, whereas the rest of the book was only slightly worn. On the cover of that book was the number 4004. The copy of the book in the next chapel looked similar, but in this edition the final pages of the book were oversized and worn. Pasted on the sides of this room were charts and timelines. Colorful images of multi-headed beasts populated the walls. There were numbers and calculations scratched on blackboards. Among them were the numbers 1000, 666, 144, 47, and 3 and a half. A man with a crazed look in his eyes handed him a tract, which instantly burned the seeker's hand. He dropped it immediately and ran on. The neighboring chapel was very different in tone. 
Red and pink hearts decorated the walls. Pleasant music wafted through the air, mingling with an aroma that smelled like cotton candy. Everywhere he looked, the word love was plastered on the wall. The woman in this chapel read from a very thin Bible, which looked like most of it had been edited out on the cover of her book, were the numbers 316. Seeker had come full circuit. The final chapel in the rotunda was empty. It had the feel of an abandoned storefront, which had once housed a bustling enterprise. Scraps of paper lay scattered on the floor amidst dust and dirt. Seeker noticed a ragged paperback edition of the book with a ripped denim cover tossed into a corner. He picked it up. On the cover was the word paraphrase. Seeker returned it to the floor, wiped the dust off his hands, and walked back into the central chamber of the great room. What is this place? Seeker asked the theologian. This is the shrine of the book, which honors the inspiration and authority of the Holy Scriptures. Well, why are there so many chapels and different editions of the book? That is because there are many approaches to reading or not reading the book. Which one is right? The theologian was quiet for several moments and then replied sadly, All think they are right. But which one is the true copy? That is the problem. We do not have any original manuscripts of the book. They were lost long ago. What you see here are translations of copies of revisions. Furthermore, there is no agreement concerning which smaller books should be included in the book. Look beneath the book in the center. Seeker looked and saw that the pedestal upon which the book was perched was actually a bookcase. In the bookcase were dozens of other books. They bore names he recognized like Enoch, Barnabas, Judith, Adam, Philip, Thomas, and Magdalene. There were volumes in Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Syriac, and Coptic. Other volumes bore the titles Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. What are these books? Seeker asked. These are books that are no longer in the book. Why are they not in the book? Men decided long ago that they were not worthy, but not everyone agreed. This is confusing to me, admitted Seeker. How am I to know which edition of the book to read? How am I going to interpret it correctly? Before I came into your house, it was simple. If the book said something, I believed it. But now I'm not sure what to believe. Doubt is the beginning of wisdom, replied theologian. Only the ignorant are certain. Truth is not easy to discern. But do not be discouraged. When one learns the history of the book's writing, translation, collection, and interpretation then truth will become apparent. But I warn you, many will not like what you discover. They prefer to read their own copy of the book in the darkness of their private chapels. They pretend that their copy is the only book, and their interpretation is the only correct interpretation. It is tempting to hide in such a chapel, but you must remain in the center and in the light." Next theologian led Seeker into a hallway that seemed to go on forever. On the walls hung framed pictures of Christ. 
Other halls branched off the main hallway in a seemingly endless maze. How can this be? Seeker asked the theologian. From the outside, your home looks like a small English cottage, but inside it holds a large rotunda and a dozen chapels. Now I see that it branches into a huge art gallery. Have you ever read the Harry Potter books? inquired theologian. Seeker was surprised at the question. The religious people he had known in the Shadowlands frowned upon the reading of such literature. They said that such books condoned witchcraft, which was forbidden by the book. Cautiously, Seeker admitted, yes, I have. I enjoyed them very much. Good for you. There is more truth hidden in the tales of Hogwarts than in many theological tomes. Do you remember the undetectable extension charm? Yes, I do. It is a spell that extends the internal dimensions of something without affecting the external dimensions. The trunks of Hogwarts students bore those charms so they could hold all their possessions. Cars and tents often had those charms. I remember when Hermione used the charm on her handbag to carry everything she needed. Exactly, said Theologian. At that moment, Seeker thought the Theologian looked a little like Dumbledore. Where do you think Joanne Rowling got that idea? Without giving Seeker a chance to respond, Theologian blurted out, She got it from me. She once stood right here where you are standing now, and she was not much older than you. Now look carefully at these portraits on the wall. Seeker looked at the portraits of Christ that hung on the wall. They are moving, just like the portraits at Hogwarts. Correct. This is where she got the idea. Seeker walked slowly through the halls of the gallery, examining the paintings. There were hundreds of Christs. Some of the pictures Seeker recognized from church and Sunday school. Salmon's head of Christ smiled serenely as he walked past. Even as a child, Seeker had thought it strange that Jesus had pale skin and light brown hair. How could you spend all your time outdoors and not get a tan? Furthermore, most of Middle Easterners that Seeker had seen in photos had much darker skin and hair than the Sunday school Christ. Would not Jesus have looked like them? The pictures of Christ went on and on. Many of them looked very different than the Jesus Seeker had seen in picture books or films. One showed Christ with a kippah on his head and peyot hanging on either side of his face. Another frame could barely contain a Jesus with fiery eyes warning seeker of the apocalypse to come. The Son of Man is coming in our lifetime, yelled this Jesus. Seeker quickly moved out of reach of the portrait. The next portrait was an African Jesus wearing dreadlocks and a crown of thorns. Another depicted Jesus standing by the seaside, laughing. Seeker stood for a long time before this one. He had never thought of Jesus laughing before. But in this Hogwarts-style portrait, Jesus laughed in such a natural and infectious manner that Seeker found himself laughing aloud with him. He finally had to move on to catch his breath. In the next hallway, there was a female Christ, an Asian Christ, a Native American Christ, and a Hispanic Christ. The paint of the transgender Christ was still wet. In one picture, Jesus wore a black leather jacket and rode a Harley. That is a bit much, thought Seeker. 
and another picture of Christ's body was covered in tattoos, and he wore a mohawk. In one picture, Christ looked like Che Guevara and held a copy of Das Kapital in his hand. In another, he was a soldier with an automatic weapon slung over his shoulder. When Jesus began discharging his weapon in the direction of the hippie Jesus across the hall, Seeker hurried out of the hallway and sought a quieter section of the gallery. He found an area that looked to be the oldest section of the house, well over a thousand years old. These pictures of Christ looked more like icons than paintings, plus they did not move. That was a relief to Seeker, who had enough of Jesus staring and yelling at him. In one image, Christ looked like any ordinary man. In another, he appeared like a god. In a third, he was walking on a beach but left no footprints. In a fourth image, Christ was so transparent as to be barely visible. Seeker came upon a pair of portraits that hung side by side. They were identical in every way that he could tell, even to a Greek word printed in the bottom right corner of the portrait. After much searching, Seeker finally discovered the difference between the two. In one, the Greek word was homoousios, and in the other it was homoousios. Only an iota distinguished them. A plaque beside the pictures explained that the difference between the two portraits was a matter of life and death. Seeker shook his head and moved on. In the next hall there was a two-headed Christ, a three-headed Christ, and a seven-headed Christ. In another, Christ was pictured as a lion, and in another, a lamb. One portrait depicted Jesus as an angel with wings. Another was a wedding photo of Christ and Mary Magdalene. Judas Iscariot was standing beside him as his best man. One room in the gallery was devoted to how Jesus became God. Some portraits depicted Jesus becoming divine at his baptism, another at his resurrection, a third at his birth, a fourth before his birth. One contemporary portrait was given a prominent place on a wall all by itself, with a prédu before it. It was a picture of the baby Jesus laying in a manger with a halo around his head. The carpet around this picture was very worn and spotted with drippings from candle wax. A plaque under the picture identified him as the Talladega Jesus. I've had enough of this, said Seeker out loud. He went to find theologian who was pondering the homoousios twin Jesuses. What is this place? Why are there so many strange pictures of Jesus? None of them looks like the real Jesus to me. You are correct, replied theologian. None of these are the real Jesus. Then why are you showing them to me? Because the best way to know the real Jesus is to know who he is not. Many people worship these Christs. They believe wholeheartedly in them. For them they are real, but in reality they are phantoms of their imaginations. Then who is the real Christ? That's the right question, replied theologian with a smile. Now we can go on to the next part of my house. Aren't you going to answer my question, responded Seeker irritably? No, I am not here to answer your questions. I am here to help you to ask the right questions. Didn't sincerity explain that to you at the gate? Yes, but I want the answer, demanded Seeker. Who is the real Jesus? Correct, 
responded Theologian. Correct, shouted Seeker. Yes, that is the correct question. The way of Christ is about asking the right questions, not having the right answers. The pilgrim who goes furthest on the road is the one with the most unanswered questions who will not tolerate unquestioned answers. Theologian escorted Seeker through a glass door out of the gallery and into another room. The walls were covered with white boards and blackboards. Freestanding glass boards were positioned around the room. The boards were covered in mathematical calculations. Most were far beyond Seeker's understanding. He had never been good at math in school. Theologian explained that these equations had to do with quantum physics, the Big Bang, and the fabric of the universe. Another board described the speed of light and its relationship to time. One blackboard caught Seeker's eye. It held two simple equations that Seeker could understand. One was 1 plus 1 equals 1. The other stated 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1. Surely whoever wrote these equations has made a mistake, Seeker said to the theologian. Even I know that 1 plus 1 equals 2, and that 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. You are thinking in earthly terms, the theologian explained. These equations have to do with theology. Divine mathematics are as different from human mathematics as Newtonian physics is from quantum physics. These equations describe Christ and God. What do they mean? They do not mean anything. That's the whole point. I don't understand. Exactly. Now you've got it. Theologian guided Seeker through the house, out a back door and into a garden. The sun was shining and the air smelled fresh. The peace and quiet of the garden was a great relief to Seeker after the noise of the rotunda and the gallery. The first thing the Seeker noticed was a set of three life-size statues. They depicted three ministers, all men, standing next to each other. They were human, but they had a decidedly simian appearance. They reminded Seeker of the film Planet of the Apes. One of the ministers covered his eyes with his hands, one covered his ears, and the third covered his mouth. The detail on these statues is amazing, commented Seeker, as he bent down to examine the statues closer. All of a sudden, the one he was examining blinked, causing Seeker to jump back in alarm. They are alive, he exclaimed. Yes, replied Theologian, but barely. Who are they? They are three ministers. Years ago, they knocked on my door, just like you did. They saw the same things that you have seen, but they were not able to accept what they had seen and heard. They went into a panic, stumbling all over each other, trying to get back to my front door but they could not find it. Eventually, they found this door to my garden. Soon after they got into the sunlight, they froze in the positions you see them in today. Now they forever see no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. What do you mean? They were not able to accept that the book had a history of development. The idea that it contained contradictions and errors frightened them to the depths of their being, so they pretended it was not so. They developed elaborate theories to explain the contradictions. They concluded that there only appeared to be errors and contradictions. 
Also, the historical fact that the Christian understanding of Christ developed over the centuries shook their faith. They physically shook at the thought. They agreed among themselves that they would pretend that my house did not exist, and that the things they heard here were not real. They convinced each other that my house was an illusion, a work of the enemy. They took to calling themselves apologists, explaining to people who came out of my house that it was a dangerous breeding ground for heresies. They refused to change their minds. In time, they froze into the positions that you see them in today. They have moved barely an inch in the decades they have stood here. A shiver went down Seeker's spine at the thought that ministers could be so afraid of the truth. He quickly moved to another part of the garden. A little further along the garden path was a playground where two children were playing on a seesaw. One was a boy and one was a girl. You could tell from their appearance that they were siblings, although the boy looked somewhat older. As they teetered back and forth, the two were squabbling, as children often do. Each was insisting that they were the favorite of their father. They went so far as accusing the other of being illegitimate children. Who are these children? inquired Seeker. The girl's name is Faith, explained theologian, and the boy is Works. They spend all their time on this teeter-totter, going back and forth. Each tries to go higher than the other. Each tries to bump the other off their seat by hitting the ground as hard as they can. Why are they fighting? Can't they just get along? You would think they could. They are siblings, after all. But for some reason, they have a hard time understanding each other. They have very different personalities, much like their cousins Mary and Martha, who live down the road. Why don't their parents intervene? Their father and their mother, whose name is Grace, insist that both faith and works are their beloved children. They see nothing wrong in their bickering. In fact, they take pleasure in it. They say it makes for a lively household. Theologian took Seeker by the arm and led him down the garden path toward a hedge that bordered the property. Beyond the hedge, Seeker could see a hill, and on the hill was a cross. As soon as he saw it, two things happened. First, he felt the urgent need to approach the cross without delay. Second, the guilt and shame that he had momentarily forgotten about, while at the theologian's house, came back in full force. I'm sorry to cut short my visit to your house, said Seeker, but I must continue my journey at once. The sight on the hill and the distance calls to me. That is the way it should be. But remember the things you have learned here. They will protect you from many dangers on the road. Know also that the things you saw at my house are only things of the mind. The way has to do with the heart, soul, and strength as much as the mind. Go now, and may the Comforter go with you. Seeker jumped the hedge like an athlete jumping a hurdle and made his way toward the hill. He glanced back to wave goodbye to Theologian, but the house was gone. He saw the gate in the distance and the road he had traveled. The hedge, which he had just jumped, was still there. For where the theologian's house had stood was only an empty field, with three statues standing by themselves. You have been listening to The New Pilgrim's Progress. 
The series is available in book format under the title The Seeker's Journey, a contemporary retelling of Pilgrim's Progress at Amazon.com. You can find my podcast at thedowelchrist.com. You can find my blog at marshalldavis.us. Join me next time for another episode of the new Pilgrim's Progress on the Tao of Christ. Thank you.